Hey, and welcome to Politics and Science. I'm your host, John Barkhausen. This week, we return to part two of our conversation with Ray Peet. Uh, this was recorded on the 24th of March, 2020, and we are discussing the coronavirus COVID-19, uh, which has caused a lockdown in the United States in many, many areas uh, due to its expected high contagion rate and potentially... Uh, very serious mortality rate. So I hope you find this show informative. It's not intended as medical advice. It's just a independent analysis of what's going on. Ray Pete has a PhD in biology from the University of Oregon. He specialized in physiology and hormones. His newsletter is also available uh, at raypeat.com. You can read many of the archived newsletters and I believe you can also subscribe to get on his mailing list for new newsletters, which come out every other month. And now, here's the show. Thanks for coming back on Politics and Science Today, Ray. I'm always a pleasure to talk to you. And uh, we're in the midst of this uh, coronavirus uh, so-called pandemic that's been declared by the uh, World Health Organization and the CDC. And uh, everybody is having a hard time and is very scared about what's going on. Um, there's a, I just listened to a, a podcast today with a New York Times reporter talking to an epidemiologist saying, you know, that it's going to be very bad and uh, we're not taking enough uh, across-the-board measures. You know, it's too piecemeal that um, uh, the states are doing it, you know, individually. And there needs to be some strong federal action to, you know, make sure everybody's staying home and behaving themselves and not getting close enough to transmit the coronavirus. Uh, I wonder what your take is on that. I, I still am not convinced that anything special is happening. Uh, did we talk about uh, the German uh, virologist uh, Wolfgang uh, Vodarg? No, we didn't. Time. We didn't yet. Uh, well, uh, he is one well-known uh, expert in in pulmonology and and viruses. And uh, as of uh, the last time uh, I checked on his website, he he still wasn't convinced that anything different from previous years is happening. Uh, he showed that in previous years from 5 to 15 percent of the lung disease, infectious disease, was caused by the some type of coronavirus. And so far, this one hasn't really been proven to either be much more virulent or much more infectious. But that is yet to be determined, but uh, they've they've jumped to the conclusion that it is both uh, more harmful and spreads faster. But uh, you you can't uh, find that in the evidence, according to uh, Vodark. And another uh, uh, German uh, well-known pulmonologist and and virologist uh, named Bhakti, uh, like a sounds like a Hindu name, B A K H T I, I think it is, uh, says similar things. He says uh, 
that the country is is causing uh, very considerable damage economically and harm, harming especially older people uh, by the measures they're introducing uh, without any real evidence that anything special is happening. Uh, and uh, another well-known uh, mostly epidemiologist, uh, John Ioannidis, uh, has various positions at Stanford. Uh, he says this uh, might be uh, one of history's greatest uh, evidence fiascos uh, because they're, they're uh, talking about just fragments of evidence and, and drawing huge conclusions and then taking unprecedented uh, political, economic uh, uh, actions against uh, no clear scientific evidence. Hmm. Could you spell the um, German epidemiologist and the pulmonologist uh, that you've mentioned at the beginning, just so people can look up their evidence? Uh, yeah, the first one was Wolfgang uh, Vodarg, last name W-O-D-A-R-G. Uh, and I think the second guy's name Last name is spelled B A K H T I. And then you said um, the guy at Stanford, John Yo. Ioannidis. I O A N N I D I S. Okay, great. Yeah, and and they're saying that um, you know the Trump administration isn't doing enough. Um. I, yeah. Uh, I've always been considered. Uh, crazy for pointing out uh, that Trump, in many ways, has been uh, less harmful than the so-called progressives like Obama, uh, that he tends to be withdrawing from wars, for example. And uh, I, I think uh, I'm inclined to see his uh, reluctance to uh, uh, go ahead with the war on the virus as another uh, virtue, even though everyone considers that crazy. Uh, uh, he, uh, the Pentagon wanted to go back into uh, Iraq heavily in retaliation uh, against uh, a couple of soldiers getting killed, uh, and he used the virus as an excuse, uh, an argument against uh, renewing the war in Iraq. Uh, so uh, even though he's been being criticized again uh, for everything he he does against the the grain. Uh, I, so so far, I think he's justified by by the evidence. Yeah, and in in these cases, it's too bad he doesn't do himself any favors uh, in his in his social behavior. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's too bad. Too bad he isn't. A, <laughs> pleasanter personality to, to do some reasonable things. Yeah, um, and uh, he has a sort of the personality of a gangster, um, and at least he sounds like one to me. Uh, but but I think you're right. He has an isolationist tendency uh, when it comes to wars, and uh, I'm all for that myself. Uh, yeah, uh, and he proposes to uh, stop the clamp down on, on society uh, by Easter which he's being uh, criticized for again, that the 
so-called health experts are, are saying that's uh, foolish and dangerous to uh, consider uh, uh, restoring freedom uh, in just two weeks. Yeah, I mean, I can understand why people are scared. If you listen to any news at all, it's just one dire warning after the next. What do you make of the reports from Italy where people over 65 aren't being allowed to have a ventilator and so people are you know, they're doing triage and some people are you know, being basically told they'll have to die? I, I, I saw a little video from a hospital in Bergamo uh, and uh, it looked like they were uh, stuffing people into oxygen tents and putting oxygen masks on them. Uh, And if that's, uh, if people come in uh, with a minor respiratory ailment and and they're 70 or 80 or 90 years old and they get put into a a pure oxygen atmosphere, uh, that's exactly the, the wrong thing to do, but it's what almost all the hospitals in the world are doing. Uh, thinking they need oxygen, they're having trouble breathing, so give them pure oxygen. But uh, carbon dioxide is anti-inflammatory, and when you give them pure oxygen five times more than normal, you're tremendously displacing the natural balance of of carbon dioxide, which is the anti-inflammatory stuff in our breath. Uh, several uh, good research projects have found that if you hypoventilate uh, people uh, uh, who are uh, having having some problem in the hospital, like surgery, uh, slight hypoventilation to let the CO2 build up reduces inflammation and produces much better outcomes overall uh, because uh, inflammation is, is such a pathogen in any kind of sickness and especially in this uh, this particular uh, virus infection uh, or any uh, lung infection uh, the the symptoms are basically in inflammatory mm-hmm. uh, the, the angiotensin system uh, the interferon system uh, uh, which uh, turns on other inflammatory agents, histamine, uh, uh, all of the defensive uh, reactions triggered by these respiratory infections amplify inflammation, and that causes the uh, congestion, constriction, uh, swelling, uh, exudation of of, uh, uh, serum into the lungs uh, instead of uh, a balanced moisture uh, economy in the lungs, the, the serum and, and uh, proteins in the blood uh, ooze out uh, in the, into the lung space and uh, interfere with breathing. But uh, anything you do to increase inflammation is going to increase that uh, pneumonia tendency and general sickness. Uh, so oxygen and, and many of the uh, virucidal chemicals they're giving uh, greatly intensify I- inflammation. Uh, 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 that, that's one of the reasons uh, old people are, are so susceptible where uh, 
about different studies say about 85% of the infected, proven infected people have almost no symptoms of infection. Hmm. And the main ones who react badly and get very sick or die are mostly the very old people who already have some kind of a degenerative circulatory or, or inflammatory kind of disease, heart disease, stroke, kidney disease, and so on. Uh, I see. The, the the changes of aging that cause cause the uh, circulatory problems are essentially overactivity of the immune system, sort of a, a variation on the autoimmune theme, but it's it's a general uh, tissue degenerative process that that uh, exaggerates the inflammatory processes. And in one study where they gave a given type of coronavirus known, they were intending to produce common cold symptoms. And they put this stuff into volunteers' noses. And they found that the people with pre-existing inflammatory problems were the ones that reacted uh, more seriously uh, to the virus. Mm. Uh, and in mice, uh, studies in mice, they find that the, the given virus uh, does very little damage to the young animals. The older the animal is with a more mature immune system, the more harmful the virus is. So, so in, in this situation, <clears throat> the, the so-called uh, immune defenses are really the uh, the, the uh, instrument by which the virus is damaging the organism. So it's the reaction of the organism to to the virus. To, to the it's, virus. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. The, the successful virus, uh, which these are, uh, succeeds by. Uh, if possible, becoming causing uh, something like uh, chronic uh, diarrhea and a chronic cough. Uh, if the person stays well enough <clears throat> to to go around uh, living normally, but coughing, uh, that's good for the virus to spread. Uh, so, so a successful virus doesn't kill uh, many of its. Uh, uh, infected uh, hosts, uh, it, it, uh, it causes them to uh, yeah. spread the virus. Yeah, I was going to ask you that. It, it would make sense for a, for the longevity of the virus not to kill its host. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. and uh, a diarrhea and coughing and spitting are, are typical uh, ways a virus will spread. And it, it's this... Um, so if you're already inflamed and, and the virus comes along and attacks you, attacks your cells, uh, then you're much more likely to have an overreaction, an, an over-immune reaction. Yeah. Because that reminds me of, you know, socially or politically what we're doing right now. We're, if, if what you're saying is correct, then we're having an overreaction to the threat of this virus, which could potentially cause a lot of damage to our society. Uh, yeah, it already is. <laughs> 
quite causing unemployment and it's being taken as an opportunity. Bernanke and Yellen proposed that the Federal Reserve and the Treasury Department join up so that the taxpayers will be made responsible for everything that the Fed does and that they will then bail out big corporations at their at their choice, uh, but uh, what what it leads to is super corporations guaranteed by the, the government and the taxpayers, but no guarantees to the employees of of middle sized and small companies. Uh, so it's like pushing towards a total monopoly, uh, and all of the proposals that I've I've seen lead in that direction, giving money to bail out the big banks and corporations, uh, which uh, is like a war against uh, small yeah, businesses. Yeah, that's right. And, um, you know, Naomi Klein has written about this extensively in her book, Disaster Capitalism, where she cites a lot of examples of this in the past. And uh, this seems like a combination of uh, disaster capitalism uh, slash fascism, because I think the definition of fascism is combination of corporate and federal power. Yeah, exactly. Except that uh, as it's going, uh, it uh, bypasses some of the, the nastiness of Hitlerism and uh, Mussolini's fascism and goes right directly to uh, giving orders uh, uh, around the world to uh, stop protests, uh, interfere with elections, and so on. Like the yellow vests in in France aren't able to go into the streets as they've been doing uh, for a year. Uh, so they uh, are allowed to put their vests out on the balcony or in their windows mm. as protest. But, but, but basically, it's already established total uh, uh, quiescence and control politically. Yeah, and it's very effective. If you make everybody very afraid, then uh, it's not just government force like Hitler was trying to use or Mussolini. It was peer pressure. Uh, uh, yeah, yeah, much, much smooth, smoother and more effective. Than we start policing ourselves. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so, and I feel like a lot of this is pushing towards... Um, you know, once they have everybody scared, and I see a lot of talk on social media about oh, if only we had a vaccine that would save us from this coronavirus. And I was wondering if you could speak about the efficacy of vaccines in terms of flus and, and this virus. Um, in, in the great swine flu pandemic that didn't exist, uh, the man in charge of influenza vaccines at the uh, uh, center, uh, I guess it was the CDC uh, at that time. He, he was a supervisor of that uh, department, not all vaccines, but especially the flu vaccines. He pointed out to his superiors repeatedly uh, over, uh, uh, I guess, uh, several months that uh, the time it takes to develop any of these flu vaccines 
uh, is usually a, a year to a year and a half, and by that time, uh, the flu germ uh, has uh, spread, uh, reached its peak, and disappeared. Uh, people are naturally immune to that that particular strain by the time the vaccine comes on the market. Uh, and uh, he lost his job for uh, going on television, uh, uh, talking on, on 60 Minutes, I think it was, or no. Uh, no uh, oh, Phil Donahue, I think it was. Yeah. Yeah, Phil Donahue, yeah, that, that got him fired. And then later, 60 Minutes did a, a detailed analysis of the failure of the epidemic to uh, one, one death, one soldier uh, was confirmed to have died of the flu virus. No one else in the world by the admission of, of the head of the CDC. Uh, but hundreds died from the vaccine. And so now when someone says that vaccines are confirmed not only to be useless, but to be dangerous, and in many cases worse than the disease, that they can't conceivably be produced in time to prevent, those people are now being called Quacks. Yeah. Now, in the history of vaccines, there have been useful ones, right, in the past? Uh, uh, yeah. When it's an organism that doesn't uh, uh, change faster than the vaccine can be produced, uh, smallpox was uh, uh, probably the, the best example of, of uh, a vaccine uh, being able to totally abolish a disease when it's used intelligently. Uh, uh, they would identify where the outbreaks were and then form a ring uh, of vaccinated people around uh, those outbreaks uh, and uh, let the, the disease run its course inside that ring. Uh, and uh, uh, repeatedly doing that, they, they closed in and uh, eradicated the, the vaccine from nature. Because that that particular um, <laughs> disease was that a virus, smallpox? Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. so, so it just didn't mutate quickly, so they could get a handle on it. Yeah, and uh, I think other diseases are probably uh, slow enough to change uh, that they could be treated similarly if if, if the effort were made. Uh, they could close in on, on them and eliminate them uh, for a relatively small price. The, the cost for the, the eliminating smallpox on the world scale uh, was microscopic compared to the annual uh, uh, expense on measles and, and uh, uh, the, the standard uh, uh, array of vaccines that kids are getting uh, in the United States and, and most other countries, uh, the cost the cost alone is is enough to uh, uh, lead lead to a, a more intelligent policy. Yeah, and I think um, you said the cost now is uh, fifty billion, uh, four point five billion dollars a year for just for vaccines for children. Yeah, yeah, that's stupendous, and. Um, 
maybe not that effective. How, how do you you rate their uh, well, well, uh, efficacy? Since, since they're stupidly used, <laughs> trying to vaccinate uh, the whole world rather than closing in on the virus, uh, when you have an outbreak at, at uh, Disney World, uh, for, for example, uh, you can uh, track those people and vaccinate everyone around them. Uh, and and uh, a, a thousand people for every one vaccinated will have avoided the vaccine. And the vaccines have a consistent and predictable uh, rate of, of damage and harm, Mort mortality, paralysis, brain damage. Uh, autism is uh, uh, one, one of the outcomes, uh, but uh, uh, the, the, no, one, no one really denies the government pays uh, uh, at least a, a proportion of the people they harm. They, mm -hmm. they acknowledge that, that they're doing harm. But in, instead of intelligently reducing uh, the number of people uh, given the vaccine, uh, they prefer to pay pay for uh, a stupid use of, of vaccines that otherwise could be effective. Yeah, and that makes sense to me. And the testing is uh, of questionable um, merit. Oh, well, the, the, the safety testing is, is absolutely crooked. Uh, uh, some of the uh, vaccines uh, w with the known harmful uh, uh, adjuvants, uh, uh, aluminum hydroxide, uh, is added because it uh, causes a systemic inflammatory reaction. Uh, and so th that's the, the most harmful, more harmful than the germ itself. Uh, but when they're testing the safety of a vaccine, uh, you, you would expect that they would test the safety of, of the combination of aluminum hydroxide and the other junk that goes along with the actual uh, uh, antigen. But uh, in some of the studies, they uh, gave the adjuvant to the control group as well as the test group. So they're they're creating a certain level of damage in their control group and comparing that to the damage in the the complete virus, complete vaccine. It basically is. I can't think of any way that a person could design that experiment without intending to defraud. Yeah, and just so people know. Um the adjuvant is the addition to the uh, the wounded uh, or weakened vaccine or the weakened uh, virus. The adjuvant. Yeah. Uh, Go ahead. After after using aluminum hydroxide to produce that general inflammatory reaction that uh, revs up your uh, ability to produce antibodies, after after using that uh, for generations, uh, it's gradually um, becoming recognized by the, the people suing the government uh, for brain damage and death and so on, that, that it is uh, developing a bad reputation. So they're looking for new adjuvants, things that will do just as much inflammatory damage, but that doesn't 
things that don't yet have have the bad reputation that aluminum hydroxide does. But uh, the same thing will occur with these uh, lipid-based nano nano particles of lipids uh, used as antigens. After another 50 years, those will develop a bad reputation. You mean you can't actually stimulate an inflammatory reaction without damaging the uh, organism? Uh, yeah, the, the, uh, that's probably a, a major, if not the only, motor of the aging process is the accumulated damage done by interacting with irritating, stressful parts of the environment. Uh, your body changes with every encounter, uh, and the the more of an adjuvant function that the environment uh, imposes on your body, the bigger the bigger reaction it forces you to make. The greater the change in your life course is. Uh, we're in a constantly uh, revising uh, process as we develop and and age uh, and uh, these uh, systemic reactions uh, for for every uh, uh, encounter food, foods we eat and digest and uh, uh, as, assimilate properly even those are adding to our immunological burden uh, um, so that uh, to deliberately <laughs> increase uh, the activity of the immune system is to deliberately uh, accelerate the process of aging and degenerating. I see. So in the history of vaccines, when you go way back to uh, in your recent newsletter, uh, which is available uh, at raypeat.com, you mentioned a fellow named John Williamson called Johnny Notions. And so how did his vaccines work if they didn't have this adjuvant? Uh, the, the smallpox vaccine all by itself is irritating enough. Okay, uh, it, it doesn't doesn't need an adjuvant, and he he weakened his uh, just by reasoning. He weak uh, reasoned that uh, if he could weaken a deadly uh, something, they didn't know what uh, any idea of what viruses were at that time. But if he could weaken uh, this. Uh, nasty material. Uh, he, he put it in smoke. Uh, 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 he, he would take a pus or a scab uh, from a, a, a person with smallpox and uh, uh, smoke it uh, for a while uh, uh, and uh, then uh, pack it under, uh, I forget what kind of, of leaves he, he uh, covered it with and uh, a, a layer of camphor and then buried it for years, uh, letting, wow. letting chemical processes happen. That, this was in the 1700s, so almost n- nothing was known about how, how chemistry works. Yeah. But int- he intuited that he was doing something to, to weaken and change the agent. And then he would introduce it uh, into the skin, not into the muscle or under the skin, but he had a very uh, fine tool he made that that would uh, split uh, the skin so it went 
into the living material but didn't reach the blood. Mm. And um, all, so, of, all of his people were, were made immune. He, he vaccinated thousands. None of them died from the vaccine as they would have from a, a modern vaccine. Yeah, and that sounds a lot um, more gentle in that it's not being... In, what's the difference between a dermal uh, application like that, a skin application, and a uh, being having something injected into your bloodstream? Uh, yeah, yeah, in the last uh, oh, 10 years or so, a, a few alternative doctors uh, were practicing it 30 or 40 years ago, rubbing it into the skin gently. Uh, rather than injecting it. But uh, experiments now in the last 10 years uh, show that when you take a a particular antigen uh, and uh, either take it by inhalation or ingestion or uh, rubbing it into the skin or injecting it carefully intradermally, that the, the systemic results are absolutely different from when you injected into the blood or into the muscle uh, uh, or even under the skin. Uh, the immune system is designed to uh, react in a, a maximally appropriate way when things get uh, rubbed into the skin or inhaled or eaten. Uh, and when you bypass those uh, normal routes of infection, uh, the immune, we, we don't have an evolved immune system uh, for proper reactions to needle injections into into the muscles, the, the whole thing about using needles uh, seems to have been a matter of professionalism. Uh, in the 1800s, uh, doctors were the only ones who could uh, have have access to needles and syringes. Uh, they were technologically uh, beyond. Uh, the public, uh, and uh, so they uh, 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 created or or, uh, claimed to have a monopoly on what they said was the most effective way for giving medication instead of the the crude, uh, uh, old-fashioned way of, of having people eat or inhale uh, the, the the medicine, uh, they would give it uh, by needle uh, in your muscle or directly into your bloodstream. Uh, there, there never was any uh, valid uh, scientific basis for uh, giving medications by injection. Hmm. And so you said it's it's radically different if you, if you take it through a more natural way where you do have actually a defense. Can you still get the same? vaccine reaction adequately enough? The the reaction is more organized. Uh, uh, What they get uh, from the injected uh, uh, reaction is uh, largely a reaction to the tissue damage uh, leading to autoimmune type reactions. Uh, uh, More more reactions against your tissues than against the antigen, but in the process, uh, the antigen can be taken down by these specific antibodies. Uh, But uh, uh, that whole uh, antibody theory of immunity uh, is essentially a a superstructure built on ignorance uh, of how the immune system works. 
uh, the antibody theory uh, came about more than a hundred years ago with with the lock and key uh, idea of Paul Ehrlich, uh, which was a way uh, to sell uh, a chemical uh, drug <clears throat> drugs by arg arguing that uh, he would have a, a specific chemical for the specific uh, a lock. Uh, he, he, the, the chemical key uh, was so specific uh, that a particular drug would cure it, and, and the antibody became uh, the uh, the model for uh, the equivalent of of a specific drug cure. Mm. And and uh, the the antibody. Uh, based immune theory uh, has been given a, a series of Nobel Prizes uh, uh, at the end of the, the last century. But since then, most of the knowledge of the real immune system, uh, the innate immune system, is uh, educable. Uh, they used to say that only the uh, antibody system uh, was a real adaptive uh, process, but uh, they simply weren't looking at, at the adaptive processes uh, on on the other tissue levels. Hmm. So s since the flus and the viruses adapt too quickly for vaccines to be useful against them, it sounds like we really should depend on the innate immune system. H how do we get the innate immune system to work for us? I'm making people healthy, uh, exposing them to fewer vaccines as they grow up is, I, I think, a very important part of it. Uh, uh, allergies, uh, allergic people are known to be the ones who react the worst to the coronaviruses. And, mm. and uh, uh, the changes, uh, the, the uh, uh, de degenerative or autoimmune changes that happen with aging uh, make a person uh, more susceptible to harm from the, the uh, otherwise mild coronaviruses. Uh, but uh, just being allergic uh, or, or uh, uh, already having uh, an activated in interferon system uh, uh, makes you more susceptible. So, so uh, the, mm. the, the person who can uh, ha have an abundant ener energetic metabolism, but with without a, a, a lot of um, inflammatory experiences, uh, can produce the most organized and uh, almost uh, unnoticed uh, uh, reje rejection uh, of the infection. Uh, the eighty percent of the people who don't know that they're infected with this particular uh, coronavirus. Uh, they, they are the ones with a good immune system. They, they don't react noticeably. Um, and at the beginning, you, you spoke of, um, let's see if I can find that. Oh, yeah, you said a lung infection is inflammatory, and it's, it's, it's uh, triggering the uh, angiotensin, interferon, and histamine reactions. Um, and you covered some of the angiotensin problem last week, although I have some more questions. But you haven't mentioned anything about how the interferon and histamine systems would react with the, the coronavirus. 
Uh, one of the main things that the interferon system does is to uh, activate the production of nitric oxide, which in vitro is a very good virus killer. It's a free radical uh, that will destroy just about anything. Mm. Uh, but uh, in in vivo, there have, there have been comparisons uh, with the coronavirus. Uh, the nerve infection is a, a major uh, target of uh, some coronaviruses and, and other respiratory viruses as an alternate target causing encephalitis. Uh, and uh, in uh, experimental infections uh, with uh, nerve-targeted uh, coronaviruses, they find that blocking interferon's production of nitric oxide uh, is prevents death of the, of the animal, uh, and it's specifically uh, the interferon production of nitric oxide that's killing them. Uh, and mm. I, I think analogous things are probably happening. Uh, it does kill the virus, but it also helps to kill the host. Uh, and uh, same same with serotonin. Serotonin is is produced uh, uh, by any inflammation, uh, and uh, blocking uh, the the effects of of serotonin. Uh, uh, for example, the, the Chinese are using synanserin, uh, a serotonin blocker, uh, as one of their uh, tools uh, against the coronavirus. Can you spell that again, Ray? Synanserin? Uh, C-I-N-A-N-S-E-R-I-N. Okay, great. And so that's that's actually cutting down. So serotonin is an inflammatory chemical that we make when we're under stress? Yeah. Serotonin is talking about the veins tightening up, and so does angiotensin is the same thing. What's the purpose of those in a healthy creature? Uh, oh, um, the um, tightening of some of the uh, circulatory system helps to raise the pressure and get more blood to an area of, of uh, where the problem is. So it's it's just one one of many emergency functions uh, and uh, in, in general I think it's appropriate to think of these inflammatory things as wound healing agents if you have a, a hole punched in you uh, these are, are very appropriate for uh, making the organism uh, direct its healing efforts to the, the Place where the wound is, and uh, accelerating uh, the cell growth uh, and uh, attracting cells uh, to the area to repair it. Uh, but <clears throat> but when you uh, have them spreading out uh, from from your lungs, for example, into the whole organism, uh, the, the whole organism uh, is suffering because uh, that particular. Uh, Type of repair system uh, can can be so damaging when it takes pl place in the lungs. Yeah, so it's a, it's an ecology, and it's only supposed to be present for a short time while it's doing its emergency yeah. work. Yeah, yeah, I, I I kind of understand that. Um, and and histamine, how does that fit in? 
Um, it tends to be uh, any injury uh, uh, causes it to be released, uh, and uh, the uh, uh, experiments with coronavirus uh, show that it sensitizes the tissues to histamine. Uh, so uh, any any injury that's releasing histamine uh, becomes uh, more harmful in the presence of the virus. And uh, estrogen is something in the background of all of these. Uh, and angiotensin increases, activates aromatase to make estrogen. So estrogen is coming up in the background of any of these injuries and stress. And estrogen increases production, attracts mast cells that make histamine and uh, activates its release, uh, and and that intensifies the, the exudation of fluid into the lungs, for example. And one question I had from last week before we get into these other questions, or a few from uh, listeners, is that you said that in the angiotensin cycle, why don't you describe uh, briefly the cycle again of how uh, angiotensin is made and then how it's inflammatory syndrome is stopped? Well, first, uh, uh, the, the renin enzyme uh, is, is one of the starting things, uh, and angiotensinogen, uh, stress, and things like estrogen make the liver produce more angiotensinogen, which is a protein uh, cleaved by renin, the enzyme f- largely from the kidney. Uh, and the product of this is called angiotensin 1, and then an enzyme ACE, uh, angiotensin-converting uh, enzyme number 1, produces uh, uh, angiotensin 2 uh, acting on the product of, of the renin, and angiotensin 2 is the one we commonly think of as angiotensin, uh, Okay. Which, leads to all of these inflammatory things. And the enzyme uh, ACE2 is, it. Uh, I think its main function is to destroy angiotensin or angiotensin 2. I see. Uh, so uh, ACE, ACE1 produces the big inflammation promoter. ACE2 destroys part. Yeah, and, and so the coronavirus attaches to and inactivates uh, ACE2, uh, leaving ACE1-producing angiotensin and its inflammation. Oh, I understand. Because you said um, ACE2 is a sign of a youthful person. If you have a lot of that in your system, it means you're keeping this, that stress hormone. or stre- Is it a hormone, angiotensin? Uh, I, you could call it that. It's a peptide. It signals something. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, um, if you have a lot of ACE2, that's a sign of uh, youth. Um, and but the coronavirus is able to to attack that uh, yeah. ACE2. I see. Yeah. It, they they now know in detail how it attaches and and uh, uh, change changes that. So, protein. but that in my mind that begs the question of how 
how come young people are not affected by the coronavirus since they'd have more ACE2? Uh, yeah, if you have enough of it, uh, it it outweighs whatever the virus does. It can sac- a healthy young person can sacrifice some of their ACE2 to the virus without succumbing to the symptoms. I see. So they they can show the infection, but they still have the anti-inflammatory ACE2 in reserve because uh, things all of the uh, components of good health it seems uh, vitamin B1 mm-hmm. uh, progesterone uh, aspirin uh, a lot of good things help to uh, keep your your ACE2 up I see okay that's very good to know and now I'm going to go to some questions from from people who were kind enough to send them in. And the first one is uh, finishing up one from Innes Marks. He said, in a very recent interview, Professor Dr. Christian Drosten, one of the leading virologists in Germany, said that some of the patients studied in Germany did not have neutralizing antibodies, which they found surprising, but have recovered despite their immune system not reacting correctly. That's in quotes, immune system not reacting correctly. What does Dr. Pete think of the role of neutralizing antibodies? And this is in regard to the coronavirus. I, I, I think the, the um, healthy young person without uh, too many vaccinations uh, has an immune system that reacts correctly and doesn't bother with uh, getting to the antibody stage. Uh, but um, the... the uh, uh, there, there has been a, a kind of underground, uh, gradually gaining uh, recognition uh, in the immunity field. Uh, 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 Jamie Cunliffe in England and uh, uh, Polly Matzinger, uh, uh, I think she has worked her whole career at uh, NIH in this country and uh, they have the, the danger theory of immunity or the damage theory is, is Cunliffe's uh, terminology in, in which the immune system in their view isn't on the outlook for so-called pathogens uh, it, it, uh, the, the antibody theory is based on the idea that uh, we form a a picture uh, of the evil germs uh, and and then create uh, antibodies specific uh, to to that image uh, of evil. Mm. And in in, in this other uh, picture of immunity, uh, the uh, organism has a picture of itself that it wants to preserve, it knows what it is and where it should, where its parts should be, and when it experiences damage, uh, I think that's the better terminology than than Matzinger's danger. The, the damage is recognized because the organism knows itself and knows when part of it is out of place, uh, when an organism. That does damage what is recognized is the damage and in the process of, of uh, correcting the damage uh, the, um, uh, or the, the pathogenic uh, cause of the damage uh, tends to be 
I recognized and eliminated. But the em emphasis is put on uh, maintaining uh, or restoring uh, the image of the body uh, rather than learning images of potential invaders. Yeah, I, I, I suspect that's a more realistic approach. About 20 years ago, someone was studying an encephalitis virus, and they were aware that a specific brain antibody was formed, and people were thinking of that antibody as an autoimmune perpetuator of the encephalitis condition. But in this experiment, they suppressed the production of that specific antibody and found that the animal proceeded to die, got much worse when the antibody was was removed. And they found that the antibody was serving the purpose of repairing the brain, not not causing the damage. And uh, uh, that that is the view of of uh, uh, Cunliffe and uh, Metzinger that the immune system is there to repair the the, the damage. And that if you have uh, autoimmunity, it's because you're uh, something is prolonging the repair process. Uh, you want to uh, uh, give it more energy uh, to complete the repair rather than trying to poison the, the system that makes the autoimmune antibodies. And does that relate uh, to what you've mentioned before about retroviruses? Um, uh, may, maybe indirectly, uh, but uh, uh, some people say that uh, as much as 50% of our genome uh, might be uh, retro elements. Uh, so when you stir up uh, damage uh, like poisoning the liver, uh, for example, uh, you release uh, thousands of things that can be identified as uh, like a retrovirus. Uh, and so if you look uh, for a particular <clears throat> virus-like particle in a stressed organism, it looks like you found uh, the the agent, but uh, really it's probably uh, one of the uh, 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 repair processes. Uh, uh, Barbara McClintock uh, showed that uh, we can move genes around uh, uh, under stress. Uh, uh, stress causes uh, the, the mobility of, of genetic elements to, to increase, uh, and these retro components seem to be uh, emergency spare parts that you, you don't see in uh, unless you're under severe stress. Yeah, I related that to your saying that when you sus suppress the antibody, the organism, which was trying to repair the brain, you were saying. Um, so I was thinking, I was thinking of it as doing repairs, but uh, this, well, this, this is just another level of of repair and revising uh, the system, even at the genetic level. Okay, I'm going to move on to another question. And uh, this one is hard to read. I sent it to you by email, Ray, because it's it's got a lot of um, 
questions of um, nomenclature that I don't understand and probably can't read. I don't know if you saw it or not. I, um, I didn't see it. Okay, okay, let me just try to simplify it. A paper published in Nature looked at 16 patients with, with COVID-19. The paper found that among the differentially expressed functional molecules, the letter levels of interferon, and then there's a bunch of letters, and T-cells were lower in the severe group than in the mild group, whereas the levels of the granzyme B and perforin CD8 T-cells were higher in the severe group than in the mild group. Um, and this data indicates that the COVID-19, similar to some chronic infections, damages the function of the CD4 T-cells and promotes excessive activation and possibly subsequent exhaustion of those T-cells, of, of the CD8 T-cells. Together, these perturbations of the T-cell subsets may eventually diminish host antiviral immunity. Could Ray offer an interpretation of these statements and comment on the effects of aspirin in this context? Um, I, I would have to read the article, but my first guess would be that uh, uh, the interferon and TNF uh, uh, were, um, did, did the question say that they were uh, increased or, or decreased? They were, lower in the, in the, they were lower in the severe group than in the mild group. Um, I, I'm not sure how to interpret that. Um, Apparently, some something has killed a part of the uh, uh, T cell uh, uh, repertoire, and uh, I would have to look at, at it closely to figure it out. Okay. All right. Um, the next question is: Do you think all the nonsense created by the coronavirus outbreak is a reaction to the anti-vax movement that's been increasing in the last few years? It'll it'll be a good excuse for uh, suppressing them uh, more actively. Yeah, and I think it'll raise the peer pressure uh, from the scared public um, to actually uh, introduce vaccines for this uh, sort of yeah, thing. The, uh, and the internet is being uh, biased against uh, them communicating with with each other in the public. Yeah. Um, here's another one. I've been reading about the health risks from 5G and RF radiation from cell phone towers, Bluetooth, and cell phones and Wi-Fi. Some of the health risks are the same as coronavirus. How much are these cell phone towers and cell phones triggering the virus and or suppressing the immune system? Thank you, Jason. Um, the... the um the kind of damage uh, done by chronic exposure uh, to that kind of radiation uh, it, uh, does uh, weaken the uh, the basic uh, quiet immune system, uh, and so it uh, would pre predispose you to the inflammatory kind of reaction. Uh, anything that is a chronic uh, weakening influence. Let's see. Can you ask Ray about the confusion between people suggesting things that decrease ACE2 and things that increase expression of ACE2? 
ACE2. Since ACE2 is known as the entry point of the CV, I see people suggesting to decrease anything that may increase suppression. Yet, when you look I, at research... I, yeah, go ahead. I, I think that was an, an argument published in Lancet magazine uh, that, that uh, against aspirin or anti-inflammatories. But I think those people just hadn't read uh, the relevant things that, uh, in fact, uh, increasing uh, ACE2 goes beyond what the virus infects and has a, a protective effect rather than a target effect. Okay. And he adds... Um when you look at the research, it seems that things increase expression of ACE2, like losartan, are most helpful for people with uh, coronavirus. Um, can can you suggest other things that can increase the expression of ACE2? Um, I, I think those that I already mentioned, uh, uh, progesterone, uh, aspirin, vitamin B1, uh, I, I think the uh, anti-serotonin, uh, agents uh, probably do that. I'm, I'm not sure. Okay. And what are your thoughts on social social isolation being a remedy in keeping this virus contained? It does uh, limit the spread of, of viruses, but that, that, that would be uh, help, helpful in any flu season. Uh, but I think the the harm done by the pressure to enforce isolation is greater than keeping the incidence of respiratory infections lower. I see. Since it doesn't seem like it's that the contagion is that serious. So far, that's my impression. Yeah. The website of a British nurse has some contrary information about the nature of the pandemic and use of uh, what, what, NICADs. What does that mean, Ray? Uh, uh, yeah, non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs. Thank you. Aspirin. As your, as your friend said, most people will not die, but as it spreads undetected without symptoms in some and only after many days in others, tens of millions of people will be exposed as is happening. 1% of 50 million globally could mean 500,000 deaths. Add to that everyone who for other reasons needs hospitalization but could not access it as the system overloaded to keep alive the 5% who need critical care and you have additional deaths. Both diet and general health are not optimal across this planet, so look to the poorest to die in large numbers. In occurrence, the Bilderberg group types would not be concerned with your friend is right. This virus is similar, but the novel aspects that allow it to spread, and contrary to his assessment, trigger an immune response that itself becomes life-threatening. It is also now killing people age 40-plus and younger if their immune systems are compromised. Lack of sleep, stress, bad diet, drugs, air pollution, which we are free to experience because of their freedoms. I, I wanted to mention that... that the, the approach to killing the virus uh, is al almost always uh, worse than the uh, uh, result, of the effect of the virus. Uh, three of the uh, most often 
mentioned antiviral remedies, uh, uh, chloroquine, uh, acyclovir, and uh, uh, um, uh, another of the nucleoside analog types. Uh, uh, I can't, can't think, think of the name right now, but uh, these three most frequently mentioned are aimed at killing uh, the virus by damaging its DNA or RNA or, or ability to replicate RNA or DNA. And uh, these also happen to uh, damage human DNA uh, and uh, at, at the expense of, of mutating millions of people. Uh, there are recommendations <clears throat> to, to, to try to slow the virus uh, replication. Uh, but I, I think that's another uh, thing besides uh, crashing the economy to uh, increase uh, the, the amount of poverty in the world, uh, the, the uh, damaging uh, uh, nutrition and increasing stress. Uh, these, these most uh, frequently uh, offered uh, protections are, are really uh, uh, very serious harms. They actually poison you. Uh, uh, yeah, well, they, they damage the gonads and, and the retina, and, for example, uh, anywhere that uh, cells have to uh, replicate and uh, uh, reproduce themselves. You're interfering with their DNA replication, and, and so uh, you create some sickness in the individual, but also the risk of mutated descendants. I see, yeah. Great. There's there's a solution. <laughs> um, and I think I have one more question. I'd like to get Ray's thoughts on claims that vitamin C can increase interferon and cause a cytokine storm, cytokine release syndrome. The few studies I've seen show the benefit of vitamin C for improving immune response, but some health experts are warning against it. Thoughts? Um, that has been my personal experience, uh, that in 1956, when uh, vitamin C became cheap, the tablets were 500 milligrams instead of uh, 50. I had had good experience with the 50 milligram tablets in 1953, but uh, I took uh, one of the 500 milligram tablets and immediately got cold symptoms, and uh, over the years, I... I had that experience uh, until I would get uh, bad symptoms if I would just have uh, uh, two or three milligrams of the synthetic form, which at that time could uh, be added to uh, bacon or bread or uh, pretzels, almost anything you wouldn't expect vitamin C to be added to. Mm. Uh, but uh, I, I ran, because of my own experience, I ran into numerous other people who had had uh, similar uh, allergy-like reactions to commercial vitamin C. Uh, I found that I could uh, consume 4,000 milligrams a day of natural vitamin C uh, by eating, uh, simply eliminating grains from my diet. Uh, my intake uh, averaged 4,000 milligrams of natural vitamin C, no prob problem at all, but uh, two milligrams of the uh, commercial stuff 
uh, produce the reactions. And uh, uh, a chemist, uh, a free radical uh, specialist, dissolved 500 milligrams of uh, reagent grade, the purest available ascorbic acid, in a liter of uh, repeatedly distilled water, and then put it in an ESR uh, apparatus to measure the free radicals. And he said that uh, that uh, amount of vitamin C contained enough heavy metals to oxidize the vitamin C into its free radical state so that the free radical concentration was equivalent to uh, a, a killing dose of x-ray. I, I forget, I think he said it was 60 uh, 60 grays, a <laughs> uh, uh, super intense dose of x-ray uh, to produce that uh, free radical activity in water. Wow. So that's what you'd inadvertently get um, trying to be healthy and eating uh, vitamin C. Uh, yeah. It, he he um, uh, repeated, he analyzed the traces of heavy metals and, and picked out just one of uh, numerous heavy metals present as contaminants, and just the iron alone would replicate uh, that uh, that reaction. Uh, but uh, the, the contaminants included uh, a, a variety of, of toxic heavy metals. So you should get your vitamin C from fruit, I assume, or you can also uh, get it from meats too, right? And uh, meats and fruit and uh, even milk. Uh, 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 all animals except. Uh, uh, people and guinea pigs and primates uh, make their own, and so all all of the animal foods uh, are uh, generously supplied with vitamin C because the animal makes it. I see. And you said you got it by eliminating grains. Does that mean you just didn't you took those foods out of your diet, and so you had more room for the vitamin C producing yeah. foods? I see. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, Linus Pauling uh, said uh, we we need 4,000 milligrams a day because that's the amount uh, a goat or a chimpanzee would make uh, on a body weight basis. Uh, but uh, chimpanzees can't synthesize it, so they depend on getting it from their foods. And uh, the only food they don't eat that we eat is grains. Uh, they leaves and fruits and animals, uh, and and they 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 get this diet. And uh, the the idea that we need a, a supplement is assuming that we live on on bread and cereal and pasta. I see, and you but you're not saying that the grains chelate out the vitamin C or anything like that. No, they're they're just free of vitamin C. Uh, I they're, see. They're, they're the only. That food that is free of it. Yeah. All right. Well, that's good to know. So, um, aspirin, B1, vitamins, um, not uh, fruit, um, and uh, any other th suggestions for how to keep oh, your immune uh, system uh, up? And yeah. Uh, vitamin D is one one of the most important. Uh, it works with thyroid progesterone uh, and uh, the. Uh, uh, ACE2, for example, um, to um, uh, quiet the, the reactions. Uh, and calcium, uh, keeping a high ratio of calcium to phosphate in your diet uh, works with vitamin D in calming 
the immune system, uh, holding down the inflammatory reactions. And the and vitamin A is that important? Um, yeah, the, the membranes in particular, all of our surfaces, uh, eyes, nose, lungs, uh, are dependent on, on a, a good vitamin A uh, uh, content for for making proteins largely, uh, keeping the, the the protein turnover uh, at an ideal level. Okay. Well, great. Is there anything else you'd like to add about uh, for a message to people at this time? Uh, no. Uh, look at, looking at those uh, uh, videos that I mentioned or websites, uh, I think uh, will help to reduce the panic. Uh, uh, do you know uh, who David Icke is or Icky? It's spelled Icky. You know, I just I just heard him recently. Uh, there, there's a a recent video of his on the coronavirus, and I had never thought of him as someone saying anything sensible. Uh, but the only thing I disagreed with him in this particular interview was his saying that sugar is immunosuppressive. <laughs> but uh, everything else uh, that, that he says in that interview uh, seems okay, uh, although normally I, I would uh, consider him a, a, a borderline a maniac. Oh, would you? Okay. Um, well, that might be an interesting listen. And I also would like to talk to you sometime about the importance of keeping your blood sugar uh, at an optimal level uh, in terms of supporting one's immunity. Because um, I, I think a lot of people are talking about fasting as a way to boost their immune system. I, I, uh, yeah, just... 24 hours of fasting is enough to uh, uh, damage your, your uh, all of your functions, uh, energy production especially, uh, and energy is a basic thing uh, for maintaining your your non-inflammatory uh, immune system, uh, your your maintenance health maintenance system. Okay, so maybe we can go into that in some detail at some point. Okay. Ray, thanks so much for being on Politics and Science. I really appreciate it and um, hope you stay well and we'll talk to you again soon, I hope. Okay, thanks. Okay, thanks, Ray. Bye-bye. Bye. So ends the interview with Dr. Raymond Peet, Ph.D. in biology from the University of Oregon, and this was recorded on the 24th of March, 2020. I've been your host, John Barkhausen, and please tune in again next week for another edition of Politics and Science.